Hey, this is Pastor Ellie, one of the lead pastors of Bold Church. I wanted to say thank you for joining us today. If you want to stay up to date on everything that's happening at Bold Church, want to live stream a service, or find out when our next gathering is, head over to bold.church. Enjoy the message. Good morning, good morning. Who's excited for church? Come on. We have now met. My name is Ali, my beautiful wife and I. We started Bold Church six years ago with a dream. We wanted to create a place where not only Christians could come grow in their faith. Who's growing in their faith after 21 days of prayers? Come on. But it's also a place, three of you, awesome, praise God for you. But it's also a place for, for new people to come explore faith, to question faith. And if you're new to church, if you're new to church, for the, maybe you're back to church for the first time in a long time, let me tell you, you are VIP at Bold Church. Uh, we love you. We, we were so thankful for you. And I just want to tell you, you know, as a church, uh, 20 years ago, uh, my sister, it was the summer of 2004, and uh, my sister would get together with her youth group every week for seven straight weeks. I had 25, 30 kids praying for me. Because I was voted in high school the, the least likely person to ever become a Christian. My roommates in college says I was uh, the least likely person they ever thought that would not only become a Christian, but would become a pastor. Some of you see me as a holy man, a pastor. Bro, you have no clue the ratchetness that was before this. And that summer, I had friends and family for, for seven straight weeks. They prayed me into salvation. I had dreams about God that summer. I had uh, encounters with God. that were, I wasn't even going to church. I just felt him wherever I went. And for, for the next seven weeks, starting on February 14th, the way that your pastor got saved, I promise you there are people in your life that if I asked you, would they come to church? You would say, they're never coming. Cool, we're going to pray them into the kingdom. And we're going to do something different. Normally in years past, in preparing for Easter, we'd buy a billboard. we get do a mailer. We're going to pray people into the kingdom this year. And uh, for every Wednesday from February 14th all the way to Easter, 6 a.m. in this room, doesn't matter if there's five of you or 50 of you, we're going to pray for all of our friends, brothers, our uncles, our aunts, everyone that in our life that needs Jesus, the way he's touched us. Anyone have been touched by Jesus this morning? Okay. He saved you for a reason. He blessed you to be a blessing. And he doesn't want that blessing to stop with you. He, he, he didn't give you a ticket to heaven for a reason. You're here because now he wants you to be his ambassador. Amen? Amen. Uh, we are in a collection of talks called Life in Rhythm. Someone say, Life. Life. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Not only is he the truth, not only did he die on a cross for us, but his way of life, the way that he prayed, the way that he worked, the way that he rested is going to be a blessing to us. Amen? He's not just the truth. His way of life, so many times people know Jesus, but they don't live like Jesus. They know him as a savior. They don't know him as the healer, as the redeemer. Their relationships are broken. Their work relationships are broken. And God wants to give you a way of life that will be a blessing to you and your family and to your, your family's family. Amen? And I want to show you some of the books. If you can take a screenshot, this is the time to do it. Pull your phone out. These are the four books that influenced me that we're going to walk through the next couple of weeks. And these books transform my faith and my walk with God. And uh, don't worry, all of our notes are always available online. But I want to jump right into today's sermon. Uh, begins in Genesis chapter 2. When you see on the screen, someone shout amen. amen. If you're new to our church, let me just tell you, our tribe, we're a loud church. Let me read you chapter 2, starting at verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work. Someone say the work. The work. 
he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Someone say his work. His work. Then, the, then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, he rested from all his work. Someone say work. work. Some of you have been prophesying songs from the kingdom of, of secularization. Work, work, work. But we're going to redeem it. Because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is Genesis chapter 2, skipping down to verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a, a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals, Nemo, Simba, Tumba, all those crazy characters, and the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. We named the animals. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was his name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. Genesis 24, this last verse, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. I'm going to preach to you on a sermon titled very simply. Every week we're going to have one-word sermons, one-word sermon titles. And this week the title is this, Work. Someone say work. work. It's not going to be your normal sermon. I'm coming for you. Some of you hate your work. I'm going to try to help you redeem your work. Your job may not change, but your perspective will. Amen. So let's pray, because I believe God has a word for us. God, thank you so much, Lord, that your word is living and active. Yeah. That we may have walked in one way, God, but we want to walk out another. Yeah. God, we, want to, we don't just want to know you as the truth, as the Savior. We want to walk the way that you walk. We want to talk the way that you talk, God. Yeah. We want to love and do life and rest and relationships and boundaries, God, the way that you did those things, God. Show us, Lord. Transform us. May we walk in one way and walk out another. And if you believe that, everybody said? Amen. Everybody said? Can we give Jesus a round of applause? Come on. Now I've got to warn you, the, the, the tone of my sermon this morning is going to be very geared towards the men. It's not because I'm anti-women in any shape or form. I, I am pro-women. Let me just hear you say that. I am pro-women. However, statistics say that if you have a couple that does not know Jesus and the woman gets saved, 15% of the time, the rest of the family gets saved. But when a man gets saved in that family first, it's 90% of the time the whole family gets saved. And the reason why is there's just this leadership that God gave Adam the first job before she showed up. That doesn't mean you're not value and worth. Listen, the Trinity, they have different roles, but they're all equal in value. And in the scriptures, we can go again and again, God calls the men to die for their wives. That command is never on the women. And when Adam and Eve both sinned, he went first to him and said, bro, what did you allow to happen? Yeah. Not saying you're not responsible, ladies, but the responsibility of the family falls ultimately on the men. Amen? Yeah. So I'm going to gear this message for the, towards the men, but I'm trying to bless you ladies. Anyone want a blessing? Yeah. Any single ladies in the house, raise your hand. Look around, see what you're working with. Come on. You guys don't even raise your hands anymore. I know what Pastor Ali's doing. Come on, I'm trying to help you get married. You're welcome. Here's my question, though. Here's my question for everyone in this room. When does a boy become a man? Is it based on how much he squats? Is it when he shoots a gun? 
Is it when he can drink a beer? Is it when he can knock another dude out? When is it? And it's crazy because if you ask different people in our culture, you're going to get different answers. If you go to Obamacare, the age is 26 because that's when you can't be on your mama's insurance anymore. If you go to Budweiser, it's 21. If you go to the NRA, it's 18. That's when they think you're old enough to buy a gun. If you go to Microsoft, it's 17. That's when you play the craziest, most violent sexual games. DMV is 16. My daughter is seven. I'm not ready for her to drive in nine years. I'm not. Disney says that age of adulthood is 10. That's when your kids pay adult prices, by the way. The only place that I can find any consistency is Delta Airlines and Tylenol. It's the age of two. You pay full price for tickets and you take adult Tylenol. Come on. And the idea, though, I'm trying to convey is there is confusion. There isn't clarity in our culture when a boy becomes a man. But in the scriptures, there's a ton of clarity. I'm going to show you very clearly. The second page of your Bible, I, I read it to you. You didn't even see it. But there was a study that came out in 2019 that was probably one of the largest studies they had done of why people live in poverty. Why are people homeless? And, they, and it's on your screen. It's called the Success Sequence. Super controversial study. They studied millennials, all the people born in the 80s, the greatest generation, right? Yeah. If you're born before that generation, you're too old. If you're born after that generation, you're too young. <laughs> just, just, I'm trying to make church fun for you. Come on. <laughs> But the success sequence says, if you do these four things, and in this order, 97% of the time, you will not live in poverty and be homeless. Step one, finish high school. Step two, get a full-time job. Which one? It doesn't matter. Step three, you get married. Step four, then you have kids. And what's crazy is that the sociologists, their mind is blown. Like, this is the craziest thing. And they never write these headlines. You can Google this. They'll never write this. Sociology discovers what the Bible's been saying for 5,000 years. They won't say, they won't say sociology is catching up to theology. Their minds will be blown that if you just follow these four steps, and I'm going to show it to you in the scriptures, Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, it shows this. I want to try to highlight those things. The Lord God took the man. Someone say the man. That's step one. God placed him there. God educated him and put him in the garden. And then put him in the garden to work it. Someone say, work it. That's step two. That's step two. He had a full-time job before she showed up. Then that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. The very first time Adam saw Eve. You know what he said? Whoa, man. And that became her name. And then, and then they became one flesh. Here's the idea. What the sequence, success sequence has been teaching their mind, these sociologists, their minds are blown. The Bible's been trying to teach you for 5,000 years. And often what happens is there's this confusion in our culture of what is a man. It has nothing to do with when you can shoot a gun, how fast you can drive a car, how hard you can punch. It has to do, listen, with responsibility. And there's levels to this. Watch on your screen. The first level is you are responsible for me. That's the lowest level. That's a child. You need to dress them, feed them, change them. My children are still in that phase. If I don't make them breakfast, they ain't eating. Right? And honestly, there are 25-year-olds in here. hate to say it. There are 35-year-olds in here. Your mom still does your laundry. And your maturity has nothing to do with your age. You are still a, ch- you are still a boy. 
Excuse my language. I'm just telling you, based on that, the second level is I'm responsible for me. Who cares if I eat top ramen and Taco Bell? I'm cooking for myself. That's why I wear my underwear for a week because I don't want anyone else to do it, right? That's what college kids do. When you, when you run out of clothes, what do you do? You go dig. Look for the cleanest, dirty underwear. That's nervous laughter, by the way, because you know what you've done that too. And there's this maturing where my parents are no longer doing these things for me. I got to do them for me. But there's a third level. It has nothing to do with age or strength. It has to do with you have so much responsibility. Now you have, you're responsible for others. Yeah. And it's that phase, and it's in that level where you're ready for marriage. Ladies, if you want a man who cares about the sneakers and the shoes, can he take care of you? Yeah. Yeah. Can he take care of you? And what's crazy is in our culture, in Jesus' culture, the age of, of manhood was 13. The, when Jesus entered human history, it was the first century, God became a man, born of a virgin, lived a sinless, sinless life. At the age of 13, you know what they did in that culture? You stopped going to school. And you had two choices. You go to trade school, plumber, electrician, carpenter, farmer, or you went to religious school. Jesus, listen, never went to religious school. That's why he became a carpenter. And the Bible isn't clear when this happened, but when he was on the cross dying for our sins, he looks down at John the Apostle and says, John, this is my mom. Take care of her. Why didn't he go to the Father? Because the Father was gone. Even though Jesus was never married, he was always a man. Even though he never had sex, he was a man. Why? Because he wasn't just responsible for himself. He was responsible for his mom as well. That's maturity. Amen? Amen. Unfortunately, though, to be a man requires us to work, and there's a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety, a lot of pushback regarding work. Let me give you some statistics about work. Number one, 80% of workers feel stressed on the job. You think you're the only one. 80% of you feel this way. Look, this next is crazy. 25% of you want to scream at at your job. Crazy. This next one is a reflection of me because I work with my wife. 10% of us are concerned employees become violent against us. And unfortunately, the statistics say it's actually higher because Pastor Yasmin, she feels 14 feel like striking a coworker this past year. That's how she feels towards me. Just kidding, by the way. It's more like 100%. But the idea is work is meaningful, and it's part of the, the job, the journey of God taking a boy and becoming a man. That someone else works for you, and now it's time for you to work. And often we don't realize this, but I want to show you from the scriptures why God created work. What's the blessing of work, and how does God redeem it? Because I want you to go, because I want this sermon not just to be something you think about on Sunday, but something that changes your Monday. Amen? Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And this is what I need you to see, that often when, when, when we think about work in our culture, we love hearing people who are trust fund babies, right? We love reading stories of people who win the lottery, like, oh my gosh, I would love to quit and retire. And we have these longings, because we view work as a curse and not a blessing. And yet, the way that God describes work is not the way that we describe work. Let me prove this to you. When God made the animals, was it a blessing? Were they good? Yes. Fellas, this is for you. When God made sex, not just for procreation, but for pleasure, was it good? Every man should be screaming amen right now, shouting me down. That's a prophet to the nations right there. When God made the animals, was it good? Except for cats, okay? 
When God made work, was it good? Okay, most of you wouldn't say that, though. And the reality is that we don't view work the way that God views work. Because our dream is to sit on a beach and drink pina coladas. And God's dream for us is for us to find our fulfillment and calling in the workplace. And where we want to go is not where God wants us to go. And you got to realize, when God made work, he didn't use the Hebrew word perfect, which is tamim. He used the Greek Hebrew word tov, which is on your screen, good. Perfect means it can't be improved. Work isn't perfect. It's good, which means you take the raw materials and you make it perfect. Let me explain this in a personal analogy. Fellas, when your wife comes to church, she does her hair, she does her makeup, her fit is on point. When she walks in this room, she's perfect. But there's a moment in the morning where she has only put on half of her foundation, right? And you walk in and go, honey, are you ready? And this is what you see. In that phase, listen, she's just good. She's working her way towards perfect. You can't get this preaching anywhere else, by the way. This is like deep theology right here. And the idea is, listen, that God created us to take the raw material of the world and to make it perfect. I wrote like this, work isn't a curse, it's a blessing. Because you were created to create. That's why construction workers, they take nails and drywall and paint and concrete and they make something perfect out of it. Lawyers, you take logic and justice and you codify it into laws. Artists take music and art and colors and you create art from it. You are created to create. But the problem in our culture is that we are stuck in boyhood. And it's not clear when you become a man. And we avoid work, which is what matures us. So we have a generation of men who don't go to school to become men. They go to school to party for five years. And then when they're done, they come home and they live with their parents as long as they can. And then they vote for politicians that will pay for the debt they, they can't, don't want to pay. I, I, that's, that's the mentality of a boy. I incurred this, but it's your responsibility. A man says, no, that, that's mine. This isn't my parents' responsibility. This isn't the government. This is my responsibility. And often what you don't realize is that God wants to mature us, but we have three negative views of work. The first one is this. It's not on your screen. This is a bonus. Listen, when, ladies, dig paychecks. Let me explain it this way. It was summer of 1999. The home run record was held by a guy named Mickey Mantle for almost 50 years. And that summer, two men were on the verge of breaking this record. Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire. Anyone remember that summer? It was the greatest summer in baseball history. And then it became boring afterwards because everyone took creatine and steroids. and it It's crazy. But that summer, two men. Can we turn this off? It's like, I can't even see you guys anymore. <laughs> I'm like, is, the, is God here? What's going on? But that summer, they had this commercial on ESPN. It says, chicks dig the long ball. And it was Sammy Sosa, and they were just hitting home runs. Listen, you know what's sexy to a girl? A paycheck. Yeah. Some of you, the mentality of a boy is, I need to get a six-pack. I need to get a ride. I need to get shoes. In the same way that a boy becomes a man, there's a level of maturity. Girls can become women. An immature girl, that's what's attractive to her. But a woman, a paycheck. A steady job, that's what's sexy to her. Second thing, yeah, one person. 
Second thing is that when you, when you were created to work this way, you, it's, you're going against the, the very design that God created. And what you don't realize is you're actually being discipled by the world when you want to retire young. You know how I know that? Go to any elementary school in San Jose and ask a, a kid in kindergarten, what do you want to be when you grow up? They say, I want to be a police officer. I want to be a nurse. No one says, I want to sit on the beach and drink pina coladas. And yet that's your dream. Why don't you and God have the same dream? And number three, COVID showed this to me, that you, you need to work for your mental health. In March of 2020, something crazy happened. The world shut down, particularly us in Silicon Valley. The average person commutes 45 minutes to work, works an eight-hour day, and then commutes another hour. We're gone on average. I, I know this because I, before I was a pastor, I worked in the tech industry for 14 years. The average person works 50 hours a week. And then when COVID happened, it was awesome. You could do work from your pajamas. You wore a nice shirt and you in your underwear, and no one knew because Zoom was just up here. And for the first, the sociologists say for the first eight to ten weeks, the productivity in Silicon Valley shot through the roof. Because people didn't know how to turn work off. They didn't have to go to work at 9 o'clock. They could turn on at 7.30. And because your boss can ping you at all hours, you weren't in commute, you weren't anywhere else. They could ping you at 8 o'clock, and people were working these crazy hours. And then in early May, all the stats say that the, the, the work productivity just started tumbling. So much so that many people quiet quit. Sometimes they're nefarious and they get two jobs because they, they weren't even working at the second one. And you would think the less we work, the happier we, be, we would become. And in early May is when the, the less we worked, mental health started going higher, becoming worse and worse. Why? Because your mental health needs you to work. It, it, it creates purpose in your life. It, it gives you vision for your life. It gives you direction in your life. And what I want to do this morning is I want to give you the why behind work because when, when particularly young men lose their why, they lose their way. Yeah. And I want to make this super practical for everyone in this room. Amen? Amen? So number one, this is the why of work. Work is for provision. Someone shout provision. provision. It's to pay the bills. You, you need a job. Unless you have, you have some sort of disability, if you are able to work, you should work. It's not your parents' responsibility to give you money. It's not the government's responsibility to give you money. It's your, that's the, the journey of boyhood to manhood. Amen? First Timothy chapter 5, verse 8 says this. Anyone, someone say anyone, anyone, who does not provide for their relatives, especially for their own household, has denied. Someone say denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That's a, that's like a punch you in the face kind of verse. Like, what do you mean? I, no, God, I'm just denying work. No, you don't understand. From the first Adam to the second Adam, they both worked. Adam, before sin, listen, he had a job. It was a good thing. The second Adam, Jesus, I'm thankful that our Savior did not work remotely for our salvation. Amen? Some of you in this room, you think working from home is a right. It is not a right. Making some people uncomfortable this morning. Jesus did not work remotely for our salvation. He entered human history and he worked. Amen? And the idea that sometimes we think, I'm just denying work. No, you're denying the God of the Bible. Because that's the way he created you, to work. And when you say, I don't want to work, you're denying God and the way he designed you to, to be. 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 10 says, For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. This is going to be an even harsher word word. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. It's a heavy verse, man. 
I was almost hesitant to share this verse because there are some of you in this room, you are extremely religious. I love you, but you're going to weaponize this verse to not help those in need. This verse is not talking about the orphan and the widow. This verse is talking about young men who are able and don't want to work. In every church in the New Testament, Paul commands them, take care of the orphan, take care of the widow. Why? In the first century, women were property. They weren't even allowed to go to school. So it was a death sentence for a young woman with a child to have her husband die. You were immediately homeless. And if you didn't have family around you to take care of you, the only community that would was the local church. Paul ain't addressing those people, by the way. He's addressing those that are unable to help themselves. We need to help them. And there's this growing sediment in our culture. I don't need work. I need basic universal income. I'm not trying to make a political statement, but there's this idea that like somehow work is evil. I don't, I don't feel like working, so I shouldn't work. I want to read you an op-ed. For those of you that don't know what an op-ed is, it's an opinion piece or an editorial piece written not by a non-journalist. This comes from a foreign country of California. Let me read it to you. There has been a lot of criticism of people lately who do not want to work, especially when they're collecting welfare. Now, most people prefer to work, and that's fine for them, but others may prefer to sit in the park or go to the beach and observe the wonders of nature. Those who dislike working should not be penalized by depriving them of the benefits of all of our society. Everyone does not feel the same way about working. Some people, listen to this, actually have built-in feelings about work that make it very unpleasant for them. What they are preaching is a doctrine that work is evil, thus implying God is evil for making us work. That's why you're not denying work, you're denying God when you allow this doctrine to disciple you. And it continues, some people have built-in feelings about work that make it unpleasant for them when they are required to work. These feelings could be looked on as a handicap We do not punish others with handicaps. Instead, our society provides for them, and we should do the same for those with natural dislike of work. Why can't we all just live and let live and with each other living in his own style? I hope you enjoy homelessness, bro, because that's what's going to happen to you. And the idea is the the root of that doctrine is that work is evil. It's 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 something peasants do. And I haven't been blessed with money. I'm not a trust fund baby. I didn't win the lottery. So I got to suffer through work, even though it's awful. The government should prevent me from suffering. And what the most loving thing that I can tell you is, you will never be happy until you work. That COVID proved it. As all of us worked less, our depression went up. Are you struggling? Do you have anxiety? You may need a new job, but you need a job. And it continues in... Genesis chapter 3, and this is why most people hate work, why it's so hard. And let me tell you why work is so hard. It was not originally that way. And God, and this is Adam, God speaking to Adam and Eve right after they have fallen. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat it. Cursed is the ground. Someone say the ground. Adam was a gardener. The the Garden of Eden was in the middle of a desert. And it was this huge, we don't know the exact size of it, but it was this lush forest in the middle of the desert. And it was Adam's job to expand the kingdom of God. God could have, listen, made the entire world the Garden of Eden. 
but he made it small because you wanted to do life with us. Some of you don't realize God wants to go to work with you. He, he, he wants to walk with you. How boring would it be if he did all of the work for us? How much fun is it? Some of you have a, a, this image of a construction worker taking their son to work. He's standing next to dad, and you are going to work with your father. And it continues. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles shall bring. Work is going to be hard. Stuff's going to break. Employees won't listen to you. Bosses will be mean. Org charts will never be perfect. It's going to be full of thorns and thistles. And then watch this. And, and you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat. Someone say the sweat. sweat. Of your face you shall eat bread. That means before the fall you did not sweat when you worked. Think about that combination. Have you ever done landscaping before? Anyone raise your hand, done landscaping before? It's impossible not to sweat. Just pushing a lawnmower back and forth is tiring during the summer. And yet Adam worked. Imagine planting seeds. You didn't have to like grow, pull the weeds out. You just threw seeds and they just buried themselves. It was crazy. Just throw some water in the air and everything would be taken care of. It was not hard work. It became that way. For you are dust, and dust you shall return. And some of you in this room, that you have a very, very difficult job. And there are going to be days, all of us will experience this. We want to, well, I call them take it and shove it days to our, our boss, right? Let me read you this story from another pastor that may help you on this journey. Try this on your way home from one of those days. Stop at CVS Pharmacy and go to the section where they have thermometers. And you will need to purchase a rectal thermometer made by the Q-tip company, and make sure it's made by this brand. Go home and lock your doors and close the blinds so you don't be disturbed during your therapy. Change into something comfortable, preferably sweatpants. Then lie down on your bed and open the packaging containing the thermometer. Put everything on the counter, and as you open the packaging, please read the small, fine print that says every rectal thermometer made by the Cupid Company is personally tested. Now close your eyes and say, Jesus, thank you that I don't have that job. I know your job sucks, but it's not that job. Because God created you to create. Work ain't perfect, but it's good. Amen? Reason number two for work. Work, work is worship. Some of you are still, you just got it. Just got it. Work is worship. Somebody shout worship. I'm about to read you a verse that is controversial. Because Paul is going to address employee-employer relationships for a moment. And he's going to speak in the context of first century Rome. And Rome, listen, they had slaves. And he's not going to deny that there should, should or should not be slaves. And you think, look at these Christians. They condone slavery. That's not the case at all. This is not the transatlantic slave where we went over to Africa, kidnapped some people, and brought them back to America. This is what's called an indentured servant, a bond servant. I'm homeless and have no money. I go, bro, can I work for you? And they use the term slave. But I was willingly wanted to do it. This is not that. And Paul is not condoning slavery. He's speaking in a broken system. The Christians are underneath Rome. They're not in control. This is Rome's system, not the Christian system. So he's helping disciple them. In the same way, if I were to write a letter to some Muslims in, Israel, in, in the Middle East, and they're under Sharia law, I, wouldn't, I couldn't change the laws. I couldn't change the system. I will tell them, this is how you be a good Christian in the system. 
So that's what Paul is saying. Ephesians chapter 6, watch. This may offend some of you, but it's the reality. Slaves, obey your earthly masters. He's not condoning. He's not saying it's okay. He's saying this is the system that we have to live with, we have to work with. Let me help you be a good Christian in it. Obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Now, Paul is going to give us three things that are going to help us on this journey of, of work becoming worship. The first one is obey. Someone say obey. obey. It's going to be crazy. Obey your boss. You should be the first one in the office. You should work harder than anyone. You should be known as the Christian who obeys his boss. Too, too many times we come to work, especially Gen Z. Please, please hold me back from telling you how it really is. I don't want to do that. I don't want to pay you. And that's this attitude of this next generation. I don't want to, that's why God, your boss gave you a job description. Because you're not there to do what you want to do. You're there to do what he's paying you to do. If you were willing to do it for free, it's called a hobby. The reason he has to pay you is because you don't want to do it. And he's willing to pay you to do something you don't want to do. So why are you surprised that he's holding you accountable to the very thing you agreed to do in the first place? So stop complaining about the very fact that your God is saying, obey your boss. Do you want to stand out at work? Do you want to be promoted? Obey your boss. Be the first one to show up, work hard, and watch. You will be so blessable, it will be unreal in your life. I had no vision for what work was. And I'm going to give you these three things. And in three years, my salary doubled simply because I started doing what the Bible It actually works. Surprisingly. (laughs) Step two. He says, watch this, with respect and fear. Someone say respect and fear. fear. He's talking about honor. Are you the guy that goes to the water cooler? Oh my gosh, let me tell you about Susie, girl. (laughs) And you gossip just like everybody else, bashing your employees, especially your boss. And God is saying, I don't want you to be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Can you live with a culture of honor? I remember it was fall of 2020, and we were paying this, this, um, this film company to come in, and they would film us because we were online. It was crazy the amount of money because we had no cameras, we had no lights, and we had to do online church. And there was this small team of like five or six people that would rotate in and help us film, and there was this one girl who would work above and beyond everybody else, and it was Dalen. She was a grind dog, dude. It's part of the reason. Yeah, you can shout her down. But I just want to brag on her. Even before she was an employee, it was always Pastor Alley, Pastor Alley. And now she's been an employee for almost four years. This fall will be, I think, four years dealing? Yeah, I think so. And what's crazy is that you don't even see her honor. We'll be in team meetings. It will just be her, my wife, and myself. And it's in those moments she goes, hey, what's up, bro? How are you doing? She goes, hey, Pastor Ali, how are you? She still honors me even when no one else is around. Do you honor your boss? Only when he's at work or even when he's not there? Well, he's not honorable. I know. That's the point. Honor is not about them. It's a reflection of you. Are you a person of honor? God, the Bible says, honored you when you weren't deserving of it. Why? Because you wanted to model it for you. In the same way, honor your boss, not because they're worthy of it, because you're an honorable person. 
Watch this verse, Psalm 40, 75, verse 6. For promotion. Someone say promotion. promotion. Does not come from the east or the west. Some of you are looking at your boss. I'll only honor you if, I, if, if you give me a promotion. You have it wrong. You, have a, you don't have a biblical vision of work. Yeah. You're not working for him. Yeah. You're working for him. Yeah. And some of you, that's going to be very blunt. You work your butt off Monday through Thursday, and the moment your boss takes half days Friday, you kick your feet up. I don't want to kill my back. Like, let's go. And you take the rest of the day off. And you've forgotten. He's not your boss. He is. Read this verse, Ephesians 6, verse 5. Next verse. Obey them, not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, ooh, but as slaves of Christ. Someone say, of Christ. He's reminding you who your boss is. He's reminding you who you actually work for. Doing the will of God from your heart. But they don't honor me, but God will honor you. God, they're not going to reward me for all my work, but God sees all of it, and one day he will reward you. Oh, you of little faith, he will reward you. You need to elevate your vision. You need to have a bigger vision of what work is. Work is the journey of going from a boy to a man, and you will never become a good follower of Jesus without it. And your focus is on that evil boss, that wicked boss. God's like, dude, they're a tool to make you more humble. They're a tool to make you look like my son. He ain't your boss. I can tell you story after story of people in the Bible that worked in prison for slave masters, for wicked masters, and in one moment they became VIP in the the kingdom. Some of your vision is too small. And there are two things that happen if you do these three things. If you obey, if you honor, and you work as if you're working for Jesus. The first thing is you will be so blessable. You will, your boss will have to do, he, he can't help but promote you. Some of you think it's all about knowing the right person and networking and all these things. It's like, do you have favor of your boss or do you need favor of your king? Some of you are so focused on playing the political game at work. I need to go to this meeting. I need to chop up with this boss. And then they'll like me and then I'll get the promotion. But is that what God wants from you? I honestly pray that this church is so blessed your salary doubles in the next three years. Why? Because God doesn't just want to bless you. He wants your cup to overflow so that you become a blessing. Our church moves at the speed of your generosity. Listen, in the last four months we've seen 47 people received Christ and 15 baptisms. But I say that not with, not with any condemnation. Only half of the room is generous. Imagine the number of people that would, be, would receive Christ. Imagine the team. Imagine the ministries we can do if the whole room was on mission for the things of God. You need a vision of God. Don't just double my salary. Double my giving. The question is not, are you worthy of promotion? Are you worthy of promotion with him? Second thing, if you allow God to do this, if you obey, if you honor, and if you work for God as if he's your boss, listen, your boss will want to know who you work for. There have been stories after stories of pastors that I know that they'll have an employee in their church get a call from their manager like, hey, you're the best worker that we have. You show up on time. You don't talk trash. Are there more Christians like you? If there are, I want to hire all of them. Because it's worship. Yeah, 
some of you think I need to stamp a cross on my software or on the shoes that I make. That's when it becomes Christian. No, it's when you work with honesty and integrity, when you work with honor, and you work hard because you're working for him and not for the man in the room. And it becomes worship when your boss, who doesn't believe in the God that you believe, goes, I want more people like you. Number three is this. Worship. Work is for witness. Work is for witness. You see, some of you, you go to work, you're like, Pastor Al, you don't understand. I just sit behind a computer. I just type a few things. God can't use what I'm doing. It's too small. I need you to expand your vision. Acts chapter 17 says that God determines the time and the place where where you're born. You're not here by accident. You're here for such a time as this. God placed you in Silicon Valley because you knew you could handle the distractions of an iPhone to be in the company of Laker fans and Warrior fans and, and still focus on Jesus. You're not here, but you did not determine the year that you're born. God did. God placed you here, not in some other country, because he wanted you to reach some people that work that no one else can reach. If you read the book of Acts, which is the the ministry of the church, the Gospels is the ministry of Jesus. Forty miracles in the book of Acts. Thirty-nine of them are outside of the church. Because God is interested in doing his ministry in you, outside of these four walls, as he is inside. Billy Graham, right before he passed away, he said the next great awakening, he thought, he was predicting this, prophesying it, I don't know. He said the next great awakening would happen in the marketplace. That it wouldn't be from the stage and the pulpit. It'd be from all of you. Standing, because the darker the culture gets, the brighter your light for Christ will shine. So I want to give you four models of work that I'm praying God supernaturally charges in your heart, and you go, that's me. I want that, Lord. First one's the Peter model. Someone say the Peter model. Peter was a fisherman. He caught fish. And then Jesus says, I want you to be a fisher of men. And what God did is he took him from the marketplace and he brought him into the ministry. This is my story. I was a software engineer and then God made me a church plan. This is Pastor Yasmin's story. Anybody love the merch that says bold and the smiley face? Anybody love that merch? That is not by accident because there's a girl in our church who went to a school called FITM, Fashion Institute of Design and Merchandise. My wife, Pastor Yasmin, she went to fashion school. That's why the fashion at our church is so hip. Because God took her from the marketplace and brought her to the ministry. And that God wants to do that with some of you in this room. Let me tell you three stories of people in our church. That's the first one. Let me tell you another one. A girl by the name of Elizabeth. Anybody know Elizabeth? We love her. I don't, it's too bright and foggy here, so I can't see anything. But six months ago, we had a kids director, and they gave birth to their very first son. But unfortunately, their son had massive complications. And our kids' ministry, like, almost crumbled. And you need to know Elizabeth's backstory to understand what she did in the kids' ministry. Her boss owns, like, four or five businesses, has zero organization, and will just basically hand the business to Elizabeth and go, fix this. Figure this out. And she would bring order where there was disorder. She'd bring... Systems where there were no systems. And that's literally what Liz did. She brought order to the kids' team. Now we have a thriving kids' ministry, and a lot of it is because of her. Someone give up for Liz real quick. Second person is a dude named Dagoberto. Anyone know Dagoberto? What's that noise that you guys make in the men's group? Ah, Ah-oo, yeah. You gotta go back in 2021. I was caring too much. 
I had, I had the men's group. I led a different group. I led on Sunday. I, way too much. And I said, Doggo, you got to carry this. This is my biggest problem. I'm giving my biggest problem to my best leader. And he took it from eight guys. Now they got like 25 guys. Yeah. You got to understand, what did Doggo do in the tech industry? What, what did Doggo do at work? He works at the most ratchet T-Mobile in America. <laughs> Story and king. <laughs> Your window's up, door's locked, bulletproof vest on in the name of Jesus. Right? You don't even roll your window down the drive through You just have a basket. You just, just drive slowly. They just drop it in and you keep driving. And his boss said, this is the biggest problem that we have at T-Mobile. We need to put our best leader on it. And what did Doggo do? He took the biggest problem and he brought his leadership to it. My question is, this church has problems. 99 of them, in fact. But maybe you're the solution. We move at the rate of your servanthood. Do you see problems in our church? The very thing that bothers you is often the very place where God has gifted you. Peter model. Someone say Peter model. Second model is the Paul model. Someone say the Paul model. Paul was a tent maker. You gotta go to Acts chapter 18. This guy made tents for a living. He loved REI. Loved to live like a homeless person for a week and then call it camping. But if you read the book of Acts, what do you do is he, he, would, he would work for six days and then he'd go to the Sabbath on the, on the one day and preach. And then he began to expand his business. He began to hire people. And they would work six days a week and he would rest one day a week. And he began to be this prolific church planner. And Paul could have gone to any city. He chose the hard ones. Let me prophesy over some of you this morning. I don't want you to move. It's going to get dark in California. It's going to be harder to raise our kids. But I need you to choose, like Paul, I'm here for a reason. I'm not going to let this generation change because I'm here. I said this three months ago, and I got a lot of anger for it. And I'll say it again because I'm that pastor. You don't need to move to Texas. We need you here. I don't know if you're moving, but I, I'm begging you to ask God, maybe you were brought here to build a church, yeah, not just work in the tech industry. That's the Paul model. I could leave and work remote, but I choose. I choose this. Third model, Lydia model. Someone say Lydia model. Lydia model. We meet this woman, this unsaved woman in Acts chapter 16. Beautiful woman. She, she's take, she has this business where they made purple clothes. And she has all these widows working for her. It's a beautiful picture. Paul meets her, gets her saved. And the Bible doesn't say in the book of Acts, but in the other epistles, she begins to follow him. And she, she has this attitude, God gave me this ability to make money. And I don't need a Tesla. And a, I don't need all these things. That's the American dream. Go from the Civic Tesla to the Ferrari, a three-bedroom house to a four, the fifth, all the... She said, God, give me more so I can give more away. Every church from Acts 16 that Paul planted was funded by this woman who had no husband. God bless me. Some of you are extremely entrepreneurial. I pray in Jesus' name you make millions 
And like Lydia, you say, this isn't for me. This is to expand the kingdom. There's a guy called the Dent Brothers. They, they were part of Hillsong before all the controversy. But back in the late 90s, early 2000s, they had a, a business between the two of them that made a million dollars a year. And they said, God, from this point on, by faith, we're going to reverse tithe. We'll keep 10% because we already got everything we need. Everything's paid off. From this point on, God, we're going to give you the 90. And the next 20 years, their business doubled every year for the next 20 years. They were, the last year before all the things blew up, they were giving $100 million away every year to build the kingdom of heaven. That's my dream for some of you. You know that that grant we got, we get every year for 20 grand? Do you know who gives it to us? A guy by the name of Pat Gelsinger. He's a CEO of Intel. He has $10 billion to his name, and he's giving away, he wants to spend the rest of his life giving as much wealth as he can away because he doesn't need it. And for the last three or four years, He's given this crazy small church in San Jose 20 grand a year. Keep expanding the kingdom. Maybe that's your gift. Maybe God gave you an entrepreneurial spirit, not just for you, but so you can fund the kingdom like Lydia. Last model, the Daniel model. Someone say the Daniel model. This one's a little bit different. You bring ministry to the marketplace. Daniel, his king was the most ratchet king in the kingdom. The craziest dude. The guy built for himself a hundred-foot statue and said, I want everyone to bow down to my statue. It's, he's so handsome. He's so good. Look, look at him. And Daniel led that guy to faith. Daniel interpreted dreams, not at church during bold conference, but during a business meeting on Tuesday. And that's my dream for some of you, that like Daniel, you're, instead of avoiding the darkness of the tech industry, you're going to step into it. God's anointed me. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. I don't care how dark it is. The light of Christ is going to shine even brighter in this darkness. And people are going to confess to you their brokenness, and you're going to bring Jesus in those moments. Not here in this room, but there in the marketplace. Amen? Every eye closed, every head bowed. Let me pray for you. God, we just want to thank you, Lord, for work. Sometimes, God, our attitude is we avoid it, we hate it, we don't want anything to do with it. And we're jealous, God, in our hearts. Maybe we won't say it out. We're jealous of those who win the lottery. We envy those who are trust fund babies because in our hearts, we dislike work. God, change our attitude. It's a blessing. It's a good thing. It's not just for provision. It's not just for worship, God. It's for witness. Adam worked, God. Jesus worked. Thank you, God, for my job. You may not have the boss that you want, the coworkers that you want, but I want to encourage some of you in this room, your promotion does not come from the east or the west. You are not working for your boss. You are working for Jesus. And in any moment, he can promote you. The question is, are you blessable? There are others of you that maybe you never had a vision for the kind of work that God wanted from you. Pray that Peter spoke to you. Pray that Paul spoke to you. Maybe it was Lydia. 
or maybe it was Daniel. Pray for our church, Jesus. Pray for every person in this room that tomorrow we all have to go to work. May we do it with fresh eyes. Maybe the same job, same commute, but God, give us new perspective. We're so grateful, Lord, for everything that you've given us. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. There are some of you in this room, you didn't know this, but it was Jesus that walked with Adam in the cool of the garden. It was Jesus that, that created the world. He's the one that left heaven, entered human history through a virgin birth. And Christianity is not about us doing things and working so that God maybe will one day love us. It's so much better than that. God loves us in our brokenness. God loves us in our sin. God loves us when we fall short. God loves us not when we were his friends, but when we were his enemies. And there's some of you in this room, you didn't, you've never known that about God. Like God's not saying work, so then one day I'll love you. He says, I love you so much, I did the work of salvation. I worked for you before you do anything. Here's the work of, a, of someone who is not a believer and wants to become one. Believe in Jesus. He's the living God. And we don't believe that God is a person to be studied. Yes, we read his word, but listen, he's a person to be experienced. And with every eye closed, every head bowed, I'm praying that he speaks to you right now. He's walking the aisles of this church right now, speaking to some of you. You didn't want to come to church, but you felt this tug on your heart. If you want to start a relationship with this living God, his name is Jesus. He loves you. He wants you to simply believe. I want to count to three. I want you to shoot your hand up. One, you're not saying yes to me or this church. You're saying yes to the living God, Jesus. Two, three, shoot your hand up. Shoot your hand up. Shoot your hand up. Yep, I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand. I want everyone to pray this prayer out loud. Thank you, Jesus, for leaving heaven for me, for dying for me paying my penalty, paying for my sin. Lord, I repent. I've tried to do life without you. I've done it my way. But from here on out, I want to follow you. I want to trust you. I need you in my life. Would you walk with me the way that you walk with Adam? I turn from my sin, Lord. And I follow you. I trust you. I believe you. And if you believe that, everybody said, everybody said, amen. amen. Can you stand up real quick as we continue our worship experience? Now let me just want to celebrate one super important thing. In the month of November and December, we as a church had a year-end offering called Vision Builders Offering. It ended last Sunday. Are you ready for the number, church? Can we get drum roll, please? Come on. Get some hype around this. This is the probably the second largest amount we've ever raised. And the amount is 73,129. Unreal. Unreal your generosity. If you notice, the building is painted black. In a week, the, we'll have AC units and heaters for our kids. It's amazing. And it couldn't have happened without you. And for those of you that are new, let me just tell you the vision behind what we're doing. We had this, this dream. If we paint it, they will come. 
Most of the people that call this church home, they don't care how ugly it is. Even though this is the ugliest building in San Jose. But we're trying to beautify it. Not for us, but for our friends who don't know Jesus yet. So this is our time for offering. We're going to pass out the buckets. They just tell you that we do giving. 95% of you give online. There's, you can give online. You can give through stock. You can give through an envelope. But that's a QR code if you are did not come prepared to give. You can still give through your phone. I want to pray for the offering. Thank you, Jesus, for the $73,000 that was given. Over 80 people in this church representing 50 families, God, are, are saying we believe in the vision of this church. Let's reach the lost. Let's reach San Jose. And if you are thankful and you believe it, everybody said? Amen. Hey, thank you again for listening to today's message. If you found today's sermon encouraging, inspiring, would you consider subscribing to this podcast? That way you won't miss the next word that's coming. See you next time.